Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 197. And today I'm going to be talking about typical unschooling days. What do unschoolers do each day? I have three stories from my blog to share with you, and also I have some links, which I will put in the show notes, that will lead you to some other unschoolers' typical unschool days. So, I'll get straight into the stories. What do unschoolers do each day? Is unschooling about staying in bed late, spending lazy days in the forest and baking cookies? Or is there more to unschooling than that? What does a typical unschooling day look like? Will it be different in different families? Will it change over time? Whatever it looks like, will it always be packed with deep learning, the kind that matters and makes a difference? Recently, I followed a few links and found myself on a classical homeschooling forum reading a thread about unschooling. One mother said she'd never unschool because she believes unschooled kids' knowledge is superficial and limited. How much do children really learn while cooking cookies and wandering wild and free in the forest? Surely the only way to gain in-depth knowledge is to buckle down and learn it formally from books and courses. I've read similar comments before. Many people believe that unschooling isn't enough. It might be a wonderful way to live. Who doesn't want to lie in bed as long as you like and then do only the things that appeal to you? But it won't prepare kids for the real world, which will, one day, involve finding jobs that will support them. It seems many people don't understand what unschooling is all about. They don't realize that curiosity motivates kids to learn. Children have inbuilt desires to chase after knowledge and seek challenges. They want to live purposeful lives, knowing they and their interests are important and capable of changing the world. Unschooled kids will learn all they need to know unless, of course, adults squash their curiosity and passion for learning by insisting they know what's best for them, forcing them to do what they consider important in ways and on timetables that don't correspond to children's needs. Unschooling is much more than sleeping late, tramping through a forest and baking cookies. But what if that was indeed an accurate description of a child's unschooling life? Imagine having stimulating conversations with a child that lasts far into the night. Or what if a child is so deeply involved with an activity he's unable to break away without losing some valuable learning, so he continues to work despite the late hour? 
What about the connection that comes from staying up late and enjoying a movie together, knowing no one is going to say, time for bed, at an inappropriate moment? And what if kids just function better late in the day? Not everyone is designed to be a morning person. Late nights lead to late mornings. But what's wrong with that if time is our own? Of course, a child, especially if she is a teenager, might need to sleep longer, even if she got into bed at a regular hour. Baking cookies, besides adding pleasure to life, could lead kids on some fabulous learning adventures. Cooking could become a passion that involves creative arts, maths, English, science, and even geography and history. And then there's the forest. Why shouldn't kids run free in nature, testing their bodies, exploring, looking at everything with a sense of awe and wonder, using their imaginations, observing, asking questions, satisfying their curiosity? Forest adventures result in lots of treasured memories. They also lead to lots of discussion, googling, and reading too. I understand the forum mother's concern about unschooling. Our unschooling lives are good. Our kids are free to learn and do what they like. But that doesn't mean they do nothing much at all. Unschooling days aren't empty, a waste of time. Each one is packed with learning experiences. Even when a child is in a rest phase, we all need these times. He's thinking dreaming and processing what he's just learnt about before moving on to a new season of his learning life. And then I shared a couple of our family's typical unschooling day stories on my blog. But before I get into the first one, a couple of points stood out for me as I was reading that. First, We never know where we might end up when we follow links on the internet. If we Google about unschooling, we could get onto a forum where unschooling is criticised, and that's just what I did recently. But I don't suppose it was all bad. It made me stop and think and decide to write about what unschooling really is all about, what our days look like. And the other thing is, why do so many people associate unschooling with forests and baking cookies and maybe sleeping in late? And I think that Instagram has a lot to do with that. There's a lot of wild and free unschooling Instagram accounts and they post some gorgeous photos of kids learning in the forest getting together with their friends, and yes, having a wonderful time. And that's a problem, isn't it? Sometimes we don't associate uh, enjoyment of learning with gaining a deep knowledge. If we're enjoying ourselves, of course, we're, that's fun. That's not real learning. We're not going deep. And although we do do a lot of learning, which isn't enjoyable, unschoolers quite often do difficult 
things or things they don't really like doing, but they do them because there's a reason for for doing them. But mostly, unschoolers do enjoy learning and our lives do look good from the outside and a lot of other people's lives don't look so good. And maybe people are reassuring themselves that all the hard work, all that getting kids to do stuff they feel is important, uh, they have to, that needs to be justified. Uh, there must be a reason for, keep, for parents to keep pushing their kids. We can't be right, can we? <laughs> that kids learn best in an atmosphere where they're free and free of tension, free of expectations, free to explore the things that are important to them, the things that appeal. Um, I wonder if there was anything else there that I was thinking about. Uh, The other thing was the cooking. I recently was talking about MasterChef, it's a subject that comes up a lot for our family because, yes, we enjoyed that TV show and I have learned a lot by watching it and I'm not uh, talking about recipes and how to cook food. I'm talking about dreams and career choices and expectations and I think I uh, touched on that in the podcast about aiming high should we push our kids to aim high and have a high status career if they are capable of getting good grades, achieving things academically? Or should we allow kids to make their own choices about the things they want to do with their lives? And yes, cooking is not just baking cookies. (laughs) It's a whole lot of learning associated with cooking. So, on to my first typical unschooling day story. A typical unschooling day at home. Now, I wrote this story in February 2014. So, what was that? Over nine years ago. So, my girls, I still had a couple of girls who were deep into unschooling as far as homeschooling and record-keeping goes. Yesterday, the phone alarm beeps at 6.10am. A few minutes later, I swing my legs over the side of the bed and pad down the hall to the girls' bedrooms. I open their doors and say, Anyone want to come running with me? I can see vague shapes stirring in the semi-darkness. Soon after 6.30am, Charlotte, Sophie, Gemma Rose and I are walking down the road to the park. It is quiet and cool, the best time of day. We run five or six kilometres of our bush track circuit, up and down the hills, in and out of the trees. Finally, I say, good work, team. Let's go home for breakfast. As soon as we arrive home, Charlotte grabs a large pan and begins making porridge. I disappear into the shower. Showers, breakfast, morning chores. We wash dishes, clean bathrooms, make beds, sweep floors and fill the washing machine before we say morning prayers together. 
We gather in the living room. My eldest son Duncan joins us. He's still on his university break. Andy and Callum are at work. Imogen is away from home visiting a friend for three days. Prayers, Bible reading, and meditation. We chat about the day ahead of us. What shall we have for dinner? Do we need to get some meat out of the freezer? Does anyone have any plans for the day? Does anyone need me to do anything special for them? The washing machine has come to the end of its cycle. The girls follow me into the garden and we hang out the clothes. It's pleasant in the sun, but it looks like it's going to be a hot day. The postman arrives with two books from the book depository. One of them is called Secret Garden. It's a sophisticated colouring-in book containing page after page of intricate drawings of flowers and leaves and birds. I show the book to the girls and tell them I am going to use some of the pictures as embroidery designs. I saw this idea on someone's blog, I say, as I open my computer to show the girls. Charlotte disappears into her bedroom. She has things she wants to do. Books she is reading, an online art class she is taking, a science DVD she is going to watch. Sophie and Gemma Rose and I settle ourselves on the sofas in the family room. What do you want to do? I ask my younger girls. Will you read to us, please? asks Sophie. I nod and reach for our current book, Jackie French's The Road to Gundagai. Sophie takes up her sewing and Gemma Rose grabs her sketchbook. They like to keep their fingers busy while listening. I come to the end of a chapter and I look up. I know Sophie is going to plead with me to keep reading. I decide to read until it's time for morning tea. Ten o'clock arrives. It's time to fill the kettle and make coffee. Pour glasses of milk. Gemma Rose opens a container sitting on the kitchen bench. It's full of scones she baked yesterday. While we munch and sip, I check my emails. I visit Facebook for a few minutes and like a few posts. The girls open a book or have a look at their blogs. Charlotte appears. I close my computer and I invite her to sit down and tell me about what she's been doing. She shows me some cereal box paper dolls she's working on. She tells me how much she enjoyed reading the Drover's Road collection. We all discuss the book, remembering how much it made us laugh when I read it to the younger girls a while ago. We compare what we know about New Zealand, the book setting, to our own country, Australia. I'm going to write a blog post about the book, says Charlotte. Gemma Rose already has a blog post ready to publish. She wrote it yesterday. It's about a doll she made. She hits publish, and then I visit Facebook briefly to post a link to it on my page. Mum, did you read my chapter of our novel? Sophie asks. I did. Now it's my turn to write the next part of the story. We discuss the plot so I know what I'm doing. I have another book I'm reading aloud to the younger girls, Refuge. This is also by Australian author Jackie French, but completely different to the one we were reading earlier. There are only a couple of chapters left in the book and I read them both. 
I also read the author's notes at the back of the book. The themes of the book are immigration and asylum seekers. We find ourselves discussing these issues. We talk about why not everyone coming to Australia is allowed to stay. And who can stay and why? And aren't we fortunate living in a free and peaceful country? We wonder what is Australia's population density compared to other countries. We look up the population for Australia, Japan and the UK and then the areas of each of these countries. Sophie takes a piece of paper and a calculator and soon she's worked out the population densities. Wow, we have far less people per square kilometre than those other countries. Only about three people per square kilometre. Using data from 2013. There's plenty of room for more immigrants. Yes, we are a sparsely populated nation, even though a large part of our country is desert. The girls can see that when we look at a map. While the map is out, the girls find Christmas Island, where there is an asylum seeker's detention centre. Both girls use the grid coordinates to pinpoint the island. We notice a key to one side of the Atlas page, and soon we are locating capital cities, major towns, airports, agriculture and industries. Sophie is thinking about the secret garden book that arrived in the mail this morning. Do you think I could embroider a design from the book too? She decides to write a blog post about her plan. I hop over to Facebook quickly and post a link to the book while I remember. I want to thank Kelly for recommending Secret Garden on her blog. Can I read to you, Mum? asked Gemma Rose. She already has her book on her lap. A little house of their own. It's the last book in the Caroline years, one of the Little House book series. We sit side by side on the sofa and enjoy a chapter together. Just before lunch, someone asks the question, Where did the meter come from? How do we know all meters are the same? I do some research while the girls make lunch, and then while we sit around the table eating, we have a great discussion about the imperial, the metric, and the US systems of measurement. We laugh over the mental image of King Henry I extending his arm out to the side and saying, the distance from my nose to my thumb is exactly one yard. After the dishes are washed, Sophie practices the piano. I find Charlotte sitting on the sofa, re-reading The Road to Gundagai. Which bit are you up to, she asks. She stole away our book a few days ago and read it to herself quickly. But the book must have been good, because she is back for a second look. I take some time to answer a few blog comments and emails. Before I finish, Sophie appears and says, If I had some chocolate, I could make some chocolate oaties. Put on some sunscreen and when I finish replying to these comments, we can walk to the village and buy some. Ten minutes later, Sophie, Gemma, Rose and I are enjoying a stroll up to the village store. Charlotte chooses to stay at home. She is practicing her singing. Sophie begins cooking as soon as we return. I'm not sure what Gemma Rose is doing. 
She could be writing or reading or drawing. I know what Charlotte is doing. I can hear her. It's her turn to use the piano. I decide to edit another of my children's stories. It's been a long time since I last looked at the manuscript for my book, The Angels of Gumtree Road. Charlotte interrupts me at my computer. I'm about to start the dinner. What shall we have with our burgers? Do we have any salad? We don't. Do we have any potatoes? We do. I volunteer to chop some potato wedges. Gemma Rose decides to help me. Sophie has finished baking the oaties. We each sample one, then Sophie makes some yogurt. We wash a few dishes. It's almost time for dinner. There's just time to bring in the washing, tidy up a little, and set the table. My husband Andy goes to the gym on his way home from work. Callum is at TAFE doing his welding course. Imogen isn't due home until Friday. So only the three younger girls, Duncan and and I, sit down to eat. More dishes to wash, and then Charlotte decides to watch a movie. The other girls ask if they can borrow my tablet so they can play a game together. I return to my computer and my editing. Then Andy arrives home while he eats dinner. He tells me about his day. Then he wants to know everything we've done. After relaxing for a while, Andy prepares his lessons for tomorrow. He's a school teacher. The younger girls announce they're off to bed. I ask, do you want me to wake you for a run in the morning? They nod. I have my diary to write. Charlotte comes to say goodnight. We spend some time chatting about her day and what she has achieved. It's the end of another unschooling day. But before I climb into bed, I grab my homeschool records book. I want to make sure I record all the day's learning experiences. I translate everything into schoolish language under the headings English, Maths, HSIE, PDHPE, Creative Arts, Science. I think about what we did today. We ran and walked. We prayed and read the Bible. We cleaned and washed and tidied the house. We baked and cooked dinner together. We did lots of writing and editing, reading and listening. We discussed and researched. We looked at maps and manipulated real-life numbers. We explored the world and its issues. We drew and sewed, practiced the piano and sang. We imagined and dreamed and hoped. Today we spent lots of time together. We learnt a lot. We laughed and enjoyed. I guess that makes today a typical unschooling day at home. Yes, these days we probably wouldn't get the map book off the bookshelf, We would probably go to Google Maps or Apple Maps to look up places around our own country and the world. And we're always doing that these days because all my girls now drive and they're always off places and they need to know where they're going. Yep, real life maths. And yes, I was thinking about how times change 
how there's no time these days for my girls to run with me and how I sometimes miss that. But there are other delights, life changes, but yes, we shouldn't look back. It is always, it was not perfect, but always there is something to enjoy and to take delight in and to be grateful for. Do unschooling days change over time? Of course they do, because kids grow and their needs change. And just like I was saying a moment ago about running, we can't all run together anymore. So that part of our day disappeared. Gemma Rosner runs on a treadmill in the gym after work. And the other girls have gone on to other types of activity, other types of exercise. I found that over the years, we had sort of similar days for a period of time. And then gradually, we moved into a new phase of our unschooling lives. And our days changed. And this day that I've chosen, the next one I've chosen to share with you, uh, was written quite a bit after that one. Let me have a look at the date. March the 7th, 2018. And how is that? Five years ago? And it's called My Unschooling Teenagers Typical Days. So by this time, um, Charlotte has moved on totally from uh, unschooling at home. Uh, Yes, in that last story, she was still active, actively uh, looking for things to do. She hadn't moved on to university. I still had to record her homeschooling learning experiences for legal reasons. But by this, the time I wrote this next story, Sophie was 16, which must mean that Gemma Rose was 13, and Charlotte probably was studying uh, a university degree. She did a Bachelor of Arts in Digital Design. So here goes. My unschooling teenagers, typical days. On a typical day, my daughter Sophie, 16, gets out of bed soon after 5 a.m. By 6.10 a.m., she's heading out the door with Sister Imogen, who drives her to work. A few minutes later, Gemma Rose, 14, and I also leave the house. We're on our way to the bush tracks at the end of our road for our morning run. This is how my unschooling teenagers' typical days begin. A typical day doesn't stay typical for very long, as my girls grow and develop and learn. What they do each day changes. But at any one moment in time, I can say, this is what my teenagers are doing right now. These are their current typical unschooling days. At the moment, Sophie's days are dominated by her part-time job. Long, empty days waiting to be filled with whatever she likes are a thing of the past. I feel rather sad about this. However, Sophie accepts this new situation. Actually, she has chosen it. You see, she has plans. She hopes the skills she's learning and the money she earns from her job will allow her to continue following her passions. In her free time, Sophie works on these passions. She takes photos, cooks, reads, writes, goes to the gym, 
and makes vlogs. Gemma Rose's typical days are totally different from Sophie's. On a typical stay-at-home day, after our morning run, she will help me with the chores, and then we spend some time together. What should we do today? We ask each other, shall we watch another episode of Back in Time for Dinner? How about reading another chapter of Great Expectations? I found some articles about the secrets of your food. Do you want to read them? I've put some links to some things that sound interesting in this term's Evernote notebook. Would you like to take a look? Or do you have plans of your own? While I'm busy with my work and interests, Gemma Rose will practice the piano, continue her drawing course, work on her novel, read her library books, walk the dogs, cook the dinner, listen to music, watch movies, and play or make her own computer games. We don't stay home every day. Sometimes we go out on adventures or go shopping or catch up with the errands. And in episode 122 of this podcast, I talk about my teenagers' typical unschooling days and I discuss these questions. Is there such a thing as a typical unschooling day? Can we have too many resources? Do our kids sometimes get overwhelmed by too many possibilities? Are documentaries and lifestyle TV series a good source of learning adventures? What TV series have Gemma Rose and I been enjoying recently? Why did I initially reject this episode? Um, so you might like to go and hear more about my typical teenager's typical unschooling days by listening to episode 122 of this podcast. I won't repeat everything. And also, I put some typical unschooling day stories in my book. Um, which one? Curious Unschoolers. A Typical Unschooling Day, The Ingredients of a Typical Unschooling Day, An Unschooling Day at Home, A Typical Unschooling Morning with My Girls, My Teenagers' Unschooling Days. But you can find, oh, heaps and heaps of stories about what my kids did as they were growing up as unschoolers on my blog. Yes, practically every post has some reference to what my girls, and earlier what my boys were doing as unschoolers. So I've got one last story to share with you. This one's slightly different. I wrote, of course, there's nothing wrong with kids spending all day running wild and free in the forest or the garden. They're just doing what kids ought to do. So this third and final story is called Doing What Kids Ought to Do. Years ago, we lived in a back-to-front cottage. The back door faced the long driveway that led to the road, and the front one turned towards an endless paddock of chewing the cud cows. Around the cottage was what the real estate woman had called a yard. It's nothing fancy, she'd said on the day when she'd shown me the house. Her yard was my garden, and my garden was my kids' magical world. They loved the untidy grass, 
the crabapple trees, the row of pine trees, and our vegetable patch. Some days, my girls, dressed in faded, cast-off adult skirts, hitched up their trampoline wagon to the plastic chair horses and set off over the wild garden prairie. Or they squeezed into the pirate baby bath ship and set sail on the waving grass seas. Four girls piled onto a tricycle meant for two and hurtled down the hill, screaming with excitement. Sometimes hitting the tree at the bottom before tumbling to the ground. My kids climbed trees, stirred crab apple and grass and dandelion stews, and vied with each other to make the best cubby house ever under the pines. The girls created tiny fairy gardens under bushes, and the boys showed the girls how to make bows and arrows. My kids chased escapee cows back through the sagging wire fence. They discovered mushrooms in the shade of the trees after the rain. They collected red and yellow autumn leaves and crunched on frosty winter grass. They observed seedlings breaking through the soil in spring and threw water bombs at each other in summer. They listened to the birds, ate snails when they were babies, picked flowers. And dug in the dirt. My children acted out stories they'd heard and made up ones of their own. They turned into adults as they pretended to get married, be parents, go to work, fight bushfires, and travel overseas. They followed dreams, becoming famous singers and artists, dancers and explorers. My kids ran. And bounced and chased and skipped and climbed, testing the capabilities of their bodies. They imagined, discovered, experimented, pondered ideas, solved problems, resolved disputes, and worked as a team. My children laughed and talked and wrote scripts on the fly. You say this, and I'll say that. They tried out different accents. Walked tall on high heels, limped along on their sticks. They soaked up the delights of each day. They were as free as the wind that blew over their wild garden prairie. They created magical memories. Do you remember? They say their eyes lighting up. Oh yes. I remember those precious days when my kids did what kids ought to do—the days when they played and learnt a million things. Yes, kids need to play. There's no doubt about that.、Um, childhood is a time for playing, for being children, isn't it? Um, but sometimes we can get so concerned about the future that we're scared to let our kids do what kids ought to do. So, what are other unschoolers saying about their typical days? In my blog post,、um, the one that I am sharing with you today,、uh, I have links to what does unschooling look like. A week in the life from the Happiness Is Here website. Also, typical unschooling days from Sandra Dodd's website. Then there's 
What's Behind a Typical Unschooling Day by Pam Lorikia from the Living Joyfully website. And finally, A Day in the Life with Teens, Young Adults, Pets and Whole Life Learning by Erin from the Ever Learning website. And I finished my blog post with this last thought. Even if the homeschooling forum mother read my stories, she might not be convinced. She could say, but what about university? I want my kids to be prepared for that possibility. Well, unschooled kids can go to university too. I have lots of university stories here on my blog. Yes, I got a lot of stories in total on my blog about all aspects of unschooling. So maybe you would like to visit my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I will add a link to the blog to this podcast. In particular, I will add a link to the blog post, What Do Unschoolers Do Each Day? so that you can read those stories again if you would like to. And also, um, there are a lot of books and TV series, videos that I mentioned in those stories. If, you're, if you want to check them out, you'll find, um, yeah, read, the st- read my stories. And then, um, I don't know if, I've, if I have links to them, but they will be easy to Google. And... Yes, check out my books, um, Curious Unschoolers, Radical Unschool Love, and The Unschool Challenge. Lots of unschooling stories, ideas, thoughts, and resources in those books. So that's all I've got for you today, my friends. I hope you enjoyed hearing about our typical unschooling days. And yeah, I guess there are such things as typical unschooling days, but they differ from family to family and they change over time within a family, depending on the needs of children. Children grow and develop. And so their typical days change in response. Right, I should say goodbye. (laughs) Please um, share the link to this podcast with anyone you know who might be interested in unschooling, anybody that might doubt that unschooling leads to deep learning. And please share my blog, a link to my blog. I'm no longer on social media. That first story about our typical unschooling days, I mentioned Facebook a lot. I was always hopping over there, posting things, but I haven't been on Facebook for many, many years, and I'm no longer on Instagram anymore. But if you are on those social media platforms, maybe you could share this podcast in your Uh, stories or yeah write a post about it so I'd like to thank anybody who does do that if you would like to chat about typical unschooling days please visit my blog so until next time live a radical life of unconditional love